0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Landmark Christian Fellowship. To find out more about us, please visit lcflandmark.com. Thanks for listening, and we trust that this teaching will grow you in following the way of Jesus. Good to be together for those of you that are here, and those of you that are watching online, want to welcome you as well. Want to apologize, we had some technical difficulties this morning. Haven't totally figured out why, uh, but we. We're good now from what I see, and um, yeah, thanks for, for bearing with us this morning as we were a little bit slow getting online than we wanted to be. So continues to be an adventure to navigate online, and um, you know what, I, I just I wanna just affirm too what Larry said about God's presence and f- uh, encountering and experiencing his presence. Yesterday when, when I was with Samuel in the hospital, and uh, he was getting some stitches and some stuff with his finger that was fractured. Um, the one thing I, I thought of as we were there, and and even after I talked to Samuel about this, because we had been we had been praying for him beforehand. Justin, I prayed with him, and then Joyce, I know, was praying for him during. And I I felt the tangible peace of the Holy Spirit, and I felt it on Samuel specifically, like the way that he just. Everything happened, and, and I was I was he was operating with this peace that surpasses all understanding, and I and I was and I really I felt that, and uh, we talked about it later. I said, you know, Samuel, did you realize like the, how the peace of the Holy Spirit was with you? And so we're talking about God's presence today. We're gonna we're gonna look at at, at that, um, and so again, knowing that God's presence is with us is we we need to understand that. I came across a thread of videos sort of by accident this week that were shot in the the streets of various cities in the US and people that were posting videos of what's going on in the US with the protests. And what struck me was the chaos and the violence that was happening on all sides that these videos were showing, like on, on both law enforcement and people in the streets, the violence and the chaos like I was watching it and I was like, I can't believe that I'm watching this happening in the United States, that that's what struck me. Like it was madness that was happening in the streets that it was actually hard to comprehend, that you may not see all of this on the news. And, and I, I was thinking about it and you know, the, the reality right now is that people don't know who they are. People don't know why they were created. And they don't know who they were created for. And that is leading in our culture to all of this manifestation of the civil unrest. Yes, there's a lot of other issues that are going on, but there there is, in our culture, a spirit of we do not know who we are and who we were created for. And so we're living amidst what feels like these rolling crises that are happening. Do we realize that all of a sudden this civil unrest that is, that, is, that is happening now in our society and all of a sudden social distancing is no longer needed? Uh, if you're going to certain things, you don't, and it's, have we, have we realized what's happening all around us? But we are either trying to maintain, create, or demolish systems that we believe are going to bring us the peace and the prosperity that we so desperately long for in our culture. And we're not going to ever find it without Jesus, ever. It will be impossible to actually find. Colossians 1, that it says, in Christ there all things hold together, it says. that phrase in the Greek, all things hold together. That's actually where we get our word systems from, from that Greek word. And so that there's this idea in that passage that Jesus is the system that holds all things together. He holds all the universe together. He holds all of creation together. And so there's a couple implications from that. That is that everything is part of an interconnected system. We're part of interconnected systems in the world. And Christ is meant to be the center of that system from which all life and godliness and goodness flows. When you have systems in our world that are choosing to reject God and the need for his presence, which we are seeing everywhere, what we see is there is then, and it's the result of human sin and rebellion, But we see that the results on society are devastating. What's happening right now in society is devastating. And we're all experiencing this. So we've been speaking lately about renewal a lot. In fact, even the passage that Larry read this morning is the very passage that the ladies a few weeks ago was the one that they spoke on. To us, if, if you remember the roundtable discussion that the women did. That was it was on those verses. But we've been talking a lot about renewal and that the fact that renewal starts with us and then it extends to the world around us. And the Western culture right now is built and operating in an anti-renewal system in every way. It's a toxic system that it's fueled by self, it's fueled by the ideology that, of self, that we can have peace and prosperity amidst rampant self-autonomy. Just give me self-autonomy and I will create my own peace and prosperity and somehow this is all going to fit together and work. And what we're seeing is the result of this increasingly is chaos and madness taking hold. Joseph O'Connor and Ian McDermott, they, they wrote a book called The Art of Systems, How many of you have read that book? Probably I have not read it either. But in there they say this. When systems change, they tend to do so rapidly and quite drastically. If you put a system under enough pressure for a long time, it can suddenly collapse. And Mark Sayers, who wrote a book, Reappearing Church, we've talked about it a little bit. He comments in there on this and he says this. With such pressures building up in the Western system, again, that the Western culture is a system, tribalism has returned across our culture, both in the identity politics on the left and the return to nationalism on the right. Just think about that for a second. Identity politics, nationalism. Those two things right now we are seeing colliding in so many ways. This dynamic only makes our cultural crisis worse, creating constant frictions, outrages, and clashes in our culture, pushing us further into isolation or digital silos of like-minded people. Digital silos on social media all over the place, and we begin to congregate with those that agree with us, that affirm with us. In fact, um, one of our politicians here in the province he he met with other leaders this week to discuss education. Some of these leaders in other countries have different political views. He was called to resign by one of the parties in our province. I just read this this morning because he met with these other people in a on a video chat about education. How dare you? Because this person believes that and that person believes that you should resign. This is what's taking root in our culture. We see it exploding all over the Western world right now. And if, we be, if we're to believe the studies, Gen Z, which is the generation born 1995 to 2015, studies say it is the most anxious generation ever, that the levels of anxiety in this generation are through the roof compared to others, this is what's interesting, that generation also has grown up in the greatest season of affluence that the world has ever seen, ever. That's not a coincidence, affluence, anxiety. And now we're faced with a season of uncertainty uncertainty, which is causing just all sorts of emotional and societal upheaval and people don't know how to react. And there's this, this need of or, or this fear that we don't have certainty that seems to foster anxiety. Like we must have certainty. And those that have grown up embracing a certain level of uncertainty. Think about previous generations that have walked through levels of uncertainty and gone through things that we don't know in these, these younger generations. They seem to have a less anxious presence. In all of this because they understand that God's in control. And the gospel does not preach certainty at all except as it pertains to our life in Christ and our eternal destiny. Those are the things that there's certainty in. The rest of it we're not guaranteed certainty while on this earth. And and I say that because we, we find ourselves at a crucial junction right now in history. We are at an intersection, and the church is at this intersection right now in these very weeks and months where where we go is crucial and it's critical. And we need to immerse ourselves, church, in the truth and the hope of Scripture amidst a culture that is experiencing extreme levels of hopelessness. They're crying out for meaning. They're looking for it in all sorts of different places. And we, as the church, need to root ourselves right now in truth like never before. This is a season right now, I would say, and I I feel this myself with so much certainty, this is a season to go deep with God that we would be placing right now in these days, our roots would be going down deep into the things of God, that our lives would be nourished by the things of God and not other things in our culture. And so, today, we're going to begin a new series titled Presence, Formation, and Witness. And I'm, I'm excited for this series. I'm excited for what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how as God's people, we are made for presence, pursuing more and more of God's presence. We are shaped by formation, meaning we're given, as God's people, we are to be given to the practice of being formed into the image of Jesus. And we are defined by witness, meaning that every single one of us, as God's people, we are called to be living on mission. We're called to be living on mission in these days. That's not for some far-off people in some other country. It is for us now. God's people are called to be witnesses. And so we're going we're to spend several weeks looking at the various aspects of what this means for our lives and the life of the church as a means of practically fostering these patterns of renewal that we've been talking about. So how do we foster patterns of renewal in our lives? And it starts with following the way of Jesus as a disciple. Uh, Or as Dallas Willard, he talks about being apprentices of Jesus, that we are called to be an apprentice of Jesus. We're not just called to be a cultural Christian. We're called to be disciples. So this morning, I want to talk about how we are made for God's presence. Next week, we'll talk about the pursuit of presence as God's people. But we're we're beginning from the belief that God has always been about being present with his people. Always. Presence defines God's heart for relationship with his people. It's all about presence. Look, look at this, and we're, we're going to look at this from the whole story of Scripture. Kinda, we're just going to kind of take a wide-angle view this morning of what is central to God's heart and what is central for God's design for His people. And it starts with presence. I want to briefly do this by looking at how Scripture presents this framework, if you will, that reveals that we were made for God's presence. This is why we were created and we're to be experiencing and living from this reality. Both now, it's for the here and the now, and for all of eternity. We're preparing ourselves now to be encountering God's presence. So I want to start by looking at it in the garden. It starts in the garden. Genesis 3.8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So after the disobedience of Adam and Eve, God comes looking for them in the garden. And and it's interesting that this is a casual way in which this is noted in Scripture. Casual in that this indicates this wasn't the first time. This wasn't the initial time that God was walking through the garden looking and being with his people. God actually assumed some sort of presence in the garden so that he could be present with Adam and Eve. God's, and, and what we see here is that God's desire has always been for relationship. We were made for presence. God's presence brought flourishing to the garden. The garden was the most perfect place on earth. There was never a more perfect place on this earth than the garden and it was because God's presence was there in fullness. In his perfect will there, we see God giving us his presence. He's being fully present with his people. He's walking through the garden, wanting to know Adam and Eve. And it was our desire for self-autonomy, our desire for self-determination, our desire for control, that led us to reject and to hide ourselves from God's presence. So the very first thing Adam and Eve do is they hide themselves from the presence of God. And it leads to all manner of sin, leads to all manner of rebellion, leads to all manner of pain, all manner of brokenness and dysfunction and on and on and on. It's one of the most tragic events in all of the events in the history of humanity, probably well, the most tragic event, is the removal of themselves, Adam and Eve, from the intimate presence of the Lord. And the effects of that are being felt on the human race to this day. And yet, in that, we, we see that God, he, in his mercy, he doesn't completely cut off humanity from his presence. He's, God doesn't say, okay, that's the end. No, there's, there's mercy and there's, there's grace but the perfection of the presence in the garden that was meant to define the relationship between God and his people was lost. But God has a commitment to restore presence with his people, and that's where we're going to go today. And we see that where then it begins with the covenant with Abraham. And of course, there's other examples. There's, you know, Noah pursued God, and God met with Noah, but, but the covenant began with Abraham. The call of Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. We read of this covenant that God initiated with Abraham to make him the father of nations. He later would become Abraham, which that name means the father of a multitude. And what we see in the covenant with Abraham is that God initiated relationship. It wasn't Abraham. It was God at every point who initiated the covenant. God appeared to Abraham. He told him, actually, in Genesis 15, he told him to get the animals ready to make a covenant between them. Now, that was a a custom of the day in that culture where to make a covenant between two people, you would take these animals, you would cut them in half, And then you would walk between the the animals that were cut. And that walking together down that path that confirmed the oath of we are covenanting together. And so God tells Abraham, get this ready. We're going to make a covenant. Now, then what happens though is that God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And God brings the smoking fire pot and he brings the flaming torch And they pass between the pieces and Abraham has nothing to do with it. Nothing. In fact, it's God then in that, God is confirming the covenant. Supernatural. And what he's he's saying to Abraham, this covenant that I'm making with you, you have no stake in it. This covenant, the promise of this covenant, and this is the best news. The promise of that covenant doesn't reside with you. It, the faithfulness of you has nothing to do with it. It's my faithfulness that confirms this covenant. It was totally dependent on God. The only thing that Abraham had to do and was responsible for was to respond in faith. And that's where it says in Galatians 3 now that if we, if we respond in faith to following Christ, being the disciple of Jesus, we are by faith part of that covenant that God enacted and that covenant relationship, it's rooted in God's desire for presence with His people. God's story is about making a place for His presence to dwell with His people. We see this in numbers 35: 34, where he says there, "I dwell in the midst of my people, Israel." So we have the garden, we have the covenant, and then we come to the temple. David's desire was to build this physical place for God's presence to dwell with his people. It was the longing of his heart, replacing the tabernacle that had served as the place where God resided with his people but wasn't permanent. It had traveled with the people and David wanted to build this temple. And we know that because of of the, the various issues in David's life, God said, No, it's going to be Solomon, your son, who's going to build this temple. It's going to be a house of rest. And Solomon will build it because he's a he's a man of rest, and, and he says that in 1 Chronicles twenty eight. And it says Solomon's desire, it says in First Kings eight thirteen, was to build you, God, an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in, forever. And so when they and when they dedicated the temple. 2 Chronicles 5.14, it talks about this, where they come together as God's people and they dedicate the temple. And the glory of the Lord was so present that the priests there could not stand to minister. Can you imagine that? That the presence of God was so thick and, and real there that the priests couldn't even get off the ground to minister there. An incredible picture And the presence of God in the temple, what you see when you look at it, it's spoken of constantly in the word as experiencing rest and joy. Psalm 132, Psalm 84, Psalm 16, you could just pull out tons of examples where the temple is about God's rest, experiencing God's rest, and it's about joy. It's just about experiencing exuberant, amazing joy that you cannot experience anywhere else. You won't find it anywhere else. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, David said in Psalm 16. That was centered around the temple. and, And when we experience just a taste of that, just a taste of God's rest and his joy, that when we experience God's manifest presence of that in our lives, even just a smidge of that, you know what it does? It changes us. It changes us. You go back and you recall those times in your life where you met the presence of God. You know that you met God. It changes you. We don't, we don't forget those moments. Those are those, those, those moments that are like watermarks in our lives, that this is where I met God. And there's nothing on earth that can come close to matching that. Nothing. Everything else on this earth will leave you empty in comparison to that. Because why? We were made for God's presence. That's who we are made to be as God's people. But the temple wasn't God's design for his eternal presence. That wasn't, God was not going to just reside in this human temple built by human hands. That was just a shadow of what was to come in the person of Jesus. And so we see with Jesus where he is Emmanuel, God with us, that's the prophecy, Isaiah 7:14, the physical manifestation of God's presence, God in the flesh. That's who Jesus was. And he came establishing and giving shape to the kingdom of God. He came and he brought healing and he brought wholeness to our lives, in all sorts of a manner to the lives of people. And he carried about the manifest presence of God in him. Where Jesus went, the presence of God was manifesting through him all the time. And he was teaching us, as he went along, teaching us about who the Father is and what the Father's all about and the characteristics of the Father. Constantly spoke about that. John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And he says, you have seen him. You see me, you see the Father. I'm manifesting the presence of God in your midst. So Jesus didn't just come to save you so that you could get a get out of, jail car, get out of hell card free. That's not why Jesus came to save you. I think a lot of people can think that, oh, I'm, just, I'm gonna get saved because then I'm gonna get saved from hell or whatever's scary about eternity, so I, I need to get saved. He did come to save you, He did come to set you free, but there is purpose in his redemption. And the purpose in his redemption is to restore us to fellowship with the Father. That is the intention of Jesus, that we would be being transformed into his image. Jen and I had a discussion this morning. You know what the presence of God is about? It's not about, oh, I feel so good. Yes, you might feel amazing encountering the presence of God. You know what it's about? It's about transformation. That is what the presence of God brings in our lives. Why? Because we're experiencing the presence of God and he's making us more to be like him. So this can be the difference between pseudo-cultural Christianity and all the expressions of that in our culture and actually being a disciple of Jesus. It is way more than just getting a get out of hell card. Way more. And if we miss this, and I think we can miss this, if we miss this, we simply decide that Christianity is about morality and it's about religious observance. And we combine those two. I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to be a moral, ethical person doing the right things. And we're missing the whole point of relationship that is rooted in presence. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring his manifest presence into our lives so we would know him and have fellowship. And we have people in the church all over that are in that state of moralistic, cultural Christianity that is not rooted in presence. Jesus came to reveal and give us the Father for now, today, today. It's not a history lesson when we read Scripture. It's a living, breathing reality. How, why, why do I say that? How can I be sure of that? Well, Jesus' ascension was actually the best thing. Do you know that? Jesus leaving this earth was the best thing for us. He said it. He said why? So that the Holy Spirit could come. And that's how we know this is all about presence. Do you realize we realize the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. Like the gift that the Holy Spirit is to us. The magnitude of the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit that is available to us. Jesus said, John fourteen sixteen, that the Holy Spirit will come. He will dwell with you and be in you. He said, it's to, to your advantage that I depart so that the Holy Spirit will come. Andrew Murray, he said this of the disciples. He said, you notice, They never for a moment regretted his bodily absence. They had him with them and in them in the divine power of the Holy Spirit. That's so intriguing. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. John 16, 13. Says that he will bear witness to me. John 15, 26. He'll convict us of sin. John 16, 8. Same verse. Says he leads us into righteousness. He leads us into the abundant life found in Jesus that Jesus promised in John 10, 10. He's given to us, the Holy Spirit is given to you and me as a foretaste of what is to come. He's the guarantee of our internal inheritance, it says in Ephesians 1.13. He's the guarantee. How do you know that it's true what's coming? Because you have the Holy Spirit given to you, inside of you, dwelling in you. It's inviting us into the Trinitarian relationship with the Father and the Son. Jesus prays that in John 17.20. He prays that we would be part of and know the Trinitarian relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the church that is the physical expression of those who follow Jesus. Filled, led, and empowered by the Holy Spirit on this earth, we are part of the church. And so the church is the means by which we are strengthened, by which we are equipped, by which we are shaped and built up into the image of Jesus as we become a dwelling place for God by the spirit the church is the place where formation into the way of jesus practicing of it is to take place we are to be together practicing the way of jesus being formed into the image of jesus and it's all the work of the holy spirit and this is where this is where we are at this crucial intersection right now in our culture of where is the church going to go? And it's been brought to a head in the last three months. Where is the church going to go? What's the importance of the church? How does it have an importance in our lives for forming us into the way of Jesus? It says that as the church, we are to build one another up into maturity in Christ. Ephesians 4 talks about that, encouraging, challenging, rebuking, even if necessary. That's all within the role of the church. Operating with love for one another in the spirit. Colossians 1.8. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Interesting, that, that word there, the phrase dwell in you, has the idea of the divine presence dwelling within us. It actually is alluding to the presence of God that dwelt in the temple. Remember, the presence of God that was so thick and present that this priest couldn't even stand. That verse is alluding to that same presence dwelling inside of us now because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the new embodiment of that. Just think about that for a second. That the presence of God that manifested itself in the temple. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.22. I referenced it before. It says, In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the church. That is what we as the church are meant to be experiencing, pursuing together, that we are a dwelling place for God. That's not, that's not a metaphor. That's not meant to be. That's meant to be we're experiencing God together. And so the church, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are called to take his presence into the world. That's the calling of the church, the human life is only functioning as a, as a system, as a body growing, if you will. The, the, the New Testament uses a lot of that language of a body growing, body healthy. That only happens when we live as temples who are filled with his presence. And this mode of living in the spirit and by the spirit, talking about you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's all part of this. Living by the spirit, being immersed in it, It's preparing us for the eternal reality that is coming for God's people. And that eternal reality is the new heaven and the new earth. And so this is, again, this is the big biblical framework of God's intention to bring about his presence for his people. It it ends with a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm not going to get into a bunch of uh, end times theology this morning, not going there Other than to say this, a new heaven and a new earth is the destiny for those who are in Christ. Full stop. That's where we're going. And that's, I cannot wait. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place. Presence. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. It's so crucial right now that we are fostering and nurturing, experiencing the presence of God in our lives. Now, why? Because this is the trajectory we're going to. This is where we're going, that we're posturing our hearts to receive and encounter the presence of God now that we're preparing. This is is who we are as God's people, dealing with the sin and the brokenness that keeps us in bondage or keeps us apart from Christ, leaving us chasing substitutes for God's presence. Just dealing with that stuff because we want to encounter God's presence. We're pursuing the presence of God. We're going to talk more about that next week. But you know the new heaven and the new earth is going to be spectacular. Like like blow your mind spectacular. No sickness, no death, no pain of any sort, no grief, no emotional trauma, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Healing on every level for every single person there. There will be nothing of any sickness. It will be physically exhilarating. Like creation in perfection. That will be what the new heaven and the earth is. There will be nothing that's wrong. Nothing. It will all be exactly as God has always intended. Fellowship together with no baggage. Imagine that. But more important, and theological arguments. But more important than anything that we will encounter or receive, listen to this. We will be in the presence of God. He will be our God. We will be his people. He will dwell with us and we will know him on such an intimate level. And nothing will hinder that at all. We will be what we were created to be. Joy and fullness that we can't even fathom. Like we can't, I I can't fathom I can talk about this and I can try to, you know, in my mind, think about what it's gonna be. I can look at scripture. I I can't fathom what it's gonna be, but it's gonna be amazing, scripture says. And we are invited right now to begin to cultivate this in our lives. Right now. You are invited to be cultivating, experiencing, knowing, and growing in the presence of God in your life. This is what Mark Sayers says. The story of renewal is the story of God's presence returning to our toxic and regressing human lives, systems, and societies. We are regressing right now. In this culture, there is a massive regression happening because of the toxic nature of what's going on. Renewal is God's presence returning to that the root of our emotional toxicity, our deep anxiety, and our fears lies in the absence of God's presence. We need to be pursuing God's presence in our culture so badly. So I want to I conclude this morning by putting some questions before us. I want to in, invite God into our inner lives, if you will, giving Him the, the okay, the authority, the authority, to speak into our hearts. These are the questions I wanna put before you. Where have you encountered the presence of God in your life? Think about that. And what do you recall of those experiences? When you've encountered God, what do you recall of those specific experiences? How wonderful they were, how he changed you Second question is, are you encountering the presence of God in your life? That's an honest assessment of going, am I actually encountering the presence of God in my life right now? And number three, how will I create room in my life this week to encounter the presence of God? How will I do that? Through silence and solitude, through worship, through prayer, through being in the word. How will I be intentional in putting aside time making room to wait before the Lord and to invite Him to be with me. To cultivate that. It's a cultivating of this in our lives. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we we need you so badly in our lives and in this culture. There is so many things right now that are competing for our attention and competing for our hearts and our affections. And Lord, there's turmoil and there's chaos and we recognize that we don't have the answers, but you do. Holy Spirit, you do. And you desire to fill us with your presence and that we would become agents of renewal in our culture. Lord, you desire to fill us and to be with us and that we would be experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would be carriers of your presence to those around us. And so we want to invite you this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you. Lord, where we actually aren't encountering you, Lord, we want to pray that you would Speak to us about making room in our lives for that. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Speak to us. We wanna encounter you and we wanna ask that again, you would make us hungry, make us thirsty, make us people who long for the presence of God and won't be satisfied with other substitutes. Jesus, we wanna be formed into your image. And we want to know the presence of God. We thank you, God, that you made us for your presence, that you created us for your presence, and we receive that. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to sermon audio from Landmark Christian Fellowship. We hope that this material served to help you grow in following the way of Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit lcflandmark.com.